Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. Welcome to another edition of This Week in Clean Tech, a roundup of the week's biggest stories you need to know in climate and clean energy in 15 minutes or less. Today is Friday, September 8th, 2023. I'm Renewable Energy World Senior Content Director John Ingle. Casey Crownhart from MIT Tech Review will be joining us shortly. But for now, I'm joined by PR, climate tech, clean tech veteran Mike Casey of TigerCom. Hey, Mike. Hello, Mr. Ingle. Did you know that... Uh... Suncast Nico Johnson had the audacity to make fun of you for wearing a gray shirt in order to match mine in the last episode. I want you to know that I defended your right to choose to be my twin. And I just I want you to know that going into Thank RA you. Plus next week. Thank you. I appreciate that. And since Nico's a friend, I will say, you know, he needs to mind his own business and stick to his <laughs> own podcast. We're gonna have All words. Right? We're gonna have words for him at RE We're Plus, for man. Yeah. 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 All right. Good point. All right. Well, remember, we want you to be part of the show as well. So nominate the stories that caught your eye each week by emailing us at thisweekincleantech at tigercom.us. You can also send your T-shirt comments there. I'll I'll take a look. Um, We'll have a link in the episode description as well. Okay, Mike, let's get into it. All right. Story number one, we have a story written by The Guardian's Peter Stone entitled Texas Fracking Billionaire Brothers Fuel Right-Wing Media with Millions of Dollars. John, you have done a little bit of reporting in Texas in your time. What do you think of this? Yeah, I did. I covered Texas politics in Austin in a previous life and the uh, power of oil and gas billionaires like the Wilkes Brothers, as well as Tim Dunn. That's another name is well known, but I don't think it's always well understood. So there is no cap on contributions to state lawmakers in Texas. And as you can imagine, that presents a number of challenges. But these billionaires are sending six figure, seven figure checks to almost everyone in the conservative party to try to influence these decisions. And they do so behind the scenes. You rarely see interviews of these people. You don't necessarily know which organizations they're supporting unless you do some digging. And I think this story does a really great job of showcasing that incumbents are not just sitting idly by as they're losing market share. Yeah, I think this story is important because by and large, people in this sector really haven't made their peace with the reality that we are not a new industry In most cases, we're a new sector within an industry that's dominated by powerful incumbents that are not going to just hand over market share. We are a disruptive threat to an industry with decades of experience in weaponizing government influence and propaganda to manage market threats. So, I mean, for roughly a decade, the fixation was on the Koch brothers, and rightly so. But this story Mm -hmm. puts a spotlight on a different pair of brothers, the Wilkes brothers, and they've got lots to spend and lots to lose. They are not going to watch passively as we shutter their source of income. And my fear that is really that clean economy isn't 
close to being ready to handle the reaction of those that were disrupting. Uh, we've got a very interesting interview we're about to publish with EDP's Tom Stars. He's the longest tenured government affairs lead in the clean economy, and I encourage people to listen to that. John, what's our second story? Yeah, this is from Sarah Di Natale from the San Antonio Express News titled Batteries Helped Keep Texas Grid Afloat, But Operators Worry ERCOT Rules Could Chill the Industry. What do you think, Mike? Uh, here we go with more Texas, I guess. This is um, a Texas-heavy episode, but the the bummer here is that the state has driven a lot of clean energy adoption. Is Its, it's policymakers have yet to right-size the relationship to the truth. When renewables staved off collapse of the ERCOT power supplies a few years ago, state policymakers' reaction was to blame renewables and to push off all the non-Texans off the ERCOT board. Uh, Greg Abbott escaped, escaped blame and Ted Cruz escaped to Mexico, but the problem remains. So here we go again. ERCOT's pushing regulations that battery operators, I think, fear will hinder the growth of battery storage projects, which is going to be crucial for acting as a pacemaker to the grid. And it creates a reliability problem where one doesn't exist in the midst of the hottest year we've ever had in human history. Yeah, I was there for Yuri, um, the 2021 freeze. And I, I think that while Texas has made every attempt to limit, or at least policymakers, to limit clean energy deployment, um, I, I'm not sure that that is necessarily the case here. I think this goes back to regulators and grid operators still not really understanding what to do with all this storage, how it should participate in the markets, what value we can give to it, given that it doesn't fit, fit neatly into those buckets of generator or load. It, it plays on both sides. So um, I, I think we're seeing regulators all over the country really trying to grapple with what to do with these assets. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope that ERCOT doesn't go in a direction to require all batteries to have two hours of charge at all times, because that's just simply not how markets function. Mike, what's yeah. our next one? Story number three is one by Susan Montoya Bryan from the Associated Press. She reported, powered by wind, this $10 billion transmission line will carry more energy than the Hoover Dam. It's discussing this fascinating uh, pattern energy project, Sunzia transmission line in New Mexico. John, what do you think of this? Well, I think it, it took 12 years to get to this point. So that's pretty crazy. And I, I want to share this quick little story that I saw someone report or one of the trade groups mentioned, maybe it was Sia, um, that John Podesta was working as the chief of staff in the Obama White House and first became acquainted <laughs> with this project, came back with the Biden administration to implement the IRA and was shocked to see that it was still waiting to get to the point of breaking ground. So I think that's just really a testament to how crucial it is that we address permitting reform to achieve any of these goals that we have, because we won't get there. I think permitting might be the toughest immediate barrier of, to the clean energy transition, but I got to think that transmission is the toughest long-term barrier. Uh, this project is very large. It delivers power over 550 miles from central New Mexico to places in Arizona and California, uh, delivering power to 3 million people in parts of the West. So it's going to take us a step closer to getting transmission built like we need but boy golly we've got to get we've got to get quicker about building these things if we're going to get the clean energy transition to where it needs to go john what's our first story yeah this is from ben geeman from axios white house launches billion dollar effort to speed ev production would you take away from this one 
I think this is fascinating. So the White House is prioritizing projects that drive the shift from internal combustion engines to EVs, and there are benefits to American workers and helping us cut carbon pollution as well. But it's taking place in the middle of a UAW automaker's um, contract negotiation, which is largely centered on the question of what EVs is going to do to the to the automaker workforce. The White House is clearly trying to ease tensions between government goals and industry interests. The question is, where does that put workers? And I think um, if they're successful here, we're going to balance between labor and eco-friendly transportation goals. John, what do you think? Yeah, this is another example of the juggling act that the White House is having to do as as President Biden runs on a climate and clean energy agenda. We've talked about it before, but domestic manufacturing, trade issues, high quality jobs, it's all very important to him also. So finding this middle ground where we can achieve, you know, both sets of goals is is critical. And we, we saw it play out with the the um, Commerce Department's ruling on on um, Chinese solar imports. Like there, there's a lot of different interests to balance here. And I think that uh, this is really showcasing that, you know, the energy transition does have growing pains, but w- we need to push it along and we need to give it as much support as we can. Mike, what's our last one? Uh, number five is an MIT tech review story by Casey Crownhart. Zinc batteries that offer an alternative to lithium just got a big boost. It's about how EOS Energy, a company that provides zinc halide batteries, just got a $400 million loan guarantee from the DOE. John, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's been a long road for that company. They've been working on this for more than a decade. And, it, you know, the support from Jiggershaw's loan programs office is certainly a, a monumental step. We know that we need better diversity in our energy storage resources. And I think, you know, lithium ion alternatives could serve a, an important role in different applications than we're using lithium ion today. It's a lot of money, $400 million for a, a bit of a bet. So it seems a little riskier than the, the LPO has has tended to to go with at least so far since the IRA. Um, but I, I think it's worth doing and it's it's great to see that we're we're going to try difficult things and and we need to be able to to shoulder some of that risk in order to do so. You know, I had a client once describe the battery storage as being in a state of beautiful chaos, meaning it was fascinating to see how capitalism would produce um, competing approaches to a problem and let the market sort it out. Now, we, of course, we know that energy is anything but a free market. Government has a hand in it because it's so essential to the economy. But I would point out that the, the loan guarantee program is supposed to fund the stuff that private markets will not loan money to because Absolutely. it has too high a risk. You know, and so to me, um, here we go with zinc-based batteries. They have lower cost, but less efficiency than traditional lithium batteries. There are issues with unwanted chemical reactions. And yet I think we've got to diversify the pool of technologies that we're trying out for different storage applications. And I, th- so I think this, this loan is, this loan guarantee is really a, a welcome development. I'm fascinated by this entire sector. And I'm going to be interested to see how this all plays out. And we have Casey now to join us to talk about her story. And Casey Crownhouch joining us. Hey, Casey, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. What's the big takeaway our listeners should have on this story? Yeah, so this is the biggest support, the only support um, that the Department of Energy's Loan Programs Office has ever given to an alternative battery company. 
Um, so I think this is really big news for people who are hoping to see more options to store clean energy on the grid. Casey, you mentioned that there are still some challenges ahead, some of them technical that EOS and others think they can address, but the other being access to capital, which clearly they've addressed through this uh, loan commitment. But but what about breaking this trend that we've seen of of alternative battery makers um, going under because they can't get market acceptance and they can't find that customer that sees the value here beyond a lithium ion and and the different applications? Mm-hmm. Did do you get any grasp for what EOS wants to do differently or or plans to to circumvent that? Yeah, I mean, part of it that a lot of people are saying now is that the timing is just a lot better. You know, we have a lot more renewables on the grid. So I think people are really looking for any option to store energy. Um, And also, you know, having material shortages or or kind of concerns about that, um, questions about where we're going to get all the lithium, where we're going to get all the nickel for lithium ion cells are very much more top of mind. Um, EOS has also said that, you know, they're planning to kind of build their manufacturing as they get the demand. You know, you uh, you saw a lot of battery companies in Cleantech 1.0 build gigantic factories, and then they didn't have anybody to build batteries for. Um, So that's kind of also EOS's answer to to part of that question. Casey, do you get the sense that the there was this de facto verdict that emerged, I think, in the last 18 months that lithium had kind of won the storage race? Does this reset that verdict a little bit or a lot? Ooh, I guess to me, I don't know that that verdict ever really cleared, at least for for part of the clean tech community. Um, I do think people are seeing this as a big um, a big point in favor of kind of lithium alternatives. But I think it'll really come down to seeing these projects getting deployed. You know, getting capital is a huge. Um, a huge barrier, but I think it'll really take getting these batteries out and working and storing renewable energy to to kind of fully reset that verdict. Probably got time for one more, Casey, but what is the EOS plan to scale then as the, as they're going step by step? How, how quickly do they think that they can get to market and really capitalize on the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it'll take, I think, a couple of years for them to be fully up to scale. But like I said, it's it's kind of that step-by-step sort of process. So it'll be really interesting to see how quickly they can fill orders and, and how quickly they can build out those um, automated manufacturing lines that they're trying to build. Well, John, we're about out of time. I want to give a shout out to our terrific producer, Brian Mendez, and uh, to Alex Peterson and Claire Quirin for helping us select this week's stories. Yeah, and thank you, Casey Crownhart, for joining us on this episode of This Week in Clean Tech. Please make sure you subscribe, give us feedback, and share those story recommendations. You can also read all of the articles we discussed this week by clicking the links in the episode description. And as you're making your trip to RE+, which I know many of you are by the time you're listening to this, make sure to tune into Monday's episode of Factor This. We had a really interesting conversation with Plug Power CEO Andy Marsh about this battle over green hydrogen incentives. You'll want to check that out. All right, Mike, see you next time. I'll see you next week, my friend. We're going to try to do this show from the show floor, I think. So we're going to see if we can pull that one off. Casey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me all. Take care. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. 
Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for The Interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.